Hello, and welcome to SAP on Azure Talk. My name is Ravi Kashyap. And I'm Nathan Weaver. And today, you know, Ravi, we talk a lot about commercial efforts, I guess is the right thing to say, or commercial cloud. You know, but Microsoft has a lot of business that falls in the federal space or the U.S. government space or um, state and local government space. Let's just jump a bunch of stuff there. And because you just heard me stumble across me even trying to describe the topic, we brought in an expert that can help us uh, understand a little bit more about what is this government stuff. So, Ben, why don't you say hi, introduce yourself, say hi, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, happy to. So, hey, guys, so my name's Ben Lennon. Um, and the shortest possible version is uh, I'm one of the guys on one of Microsoft's engineering teams for what we call specialized workloads. And without going too far down the rabbit hole on what that translates to, it's specialized workloads in what Microsoft calls government. But exactly like you kind of just rounded through there, uh, Nathan, it's basically anything that's, you know, air quotes, regulated. My job in that role is basically to kind of bridge the gap between what do you do specifically in the industry, what's, you know, cybersecurity requirements, et cetera, come with that, and product. So a lot of my time is kind of spent pre-engagement on how do you actually do this, what are the requirements I need to meet, and a lot of times post-engagement, this might be post-implementation or, hey, I've made an architecture, but I haven't figured out how to turn the darn thing on, to make sure that, you know, whether it's a vendor selling something to the government and having to meet their standards, or it's the government themselves having to meet their own standards, figuring out how to actually do that. So that's kind of me in mind is I'm kind of a gearhead and an architect on that side of the fence trying to bridge the gap between industry and tech. So Thanks to be here. Let's get started on a broader level question. Why do we need a separate space for Azure government versus Azure commercial? In my experience, and I recently started working on Azure government. Before that, I didn't even know there were two separate spaces and how different these were. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so the easiest way to think of it, and the answer to your question on why, you got to start with why are there multiple? So there's actually, there's basically four categories, and there's more regions and data centers within those if I go into the weeds with it, but there's four kind of major categories. You got your commercials, which is 90% of what you guys spend your time talking about, and then you've got your gov, then you've got DOD, and then you've got what I'll just group as kind of classified or secret. And each four of those, the whole point on why do they exist is basically they're gated communities. They're designed to adhere to specific standards from certain basically participants in those communities, whether they're .gov, .mil, or they're a vendor to the government. And I've said that a couple of times. So that's, that's anybody that's whether they're doing services work, they're making transmissions for Humvees, anything else in between. If you sell something to the government, you kind of fit into one of those categories. So, okay, if those are the different kind of participants, how do they slice into those four? I'll focus just on Gov since it's kind of the easy one, especially for SAP-related workloads. The differences primarily between commercial and Gov are actually really simple. Even our commercial regions have things like FedRAMP High and et cetera, and I'll go into those a bit if we need to, but they don't necessarily have U.S. citizens. You typically get into the differences between people with U.S. persons versus U.S. citizens. Citizens and having a dedicated guy in the U.S. that's a U.S. citizen and only a U.S. citizen, he's got the right background checks and everything else that you kind of expect, and the hardware itself is limited, both network, physical presence, and everything in between, to basically being within CONUS, continental United States. Those requirements kick in in government. 
And I can go even further beyond that and get into the DoD regions. And even further beyond that, you get into the secret regions. But your primary differentiator, you know, the line that shows up on the board between commercial and gov, really kind of just boils down to that U.S. citizens requirement. Ben, let me jump in real quick with a question. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I have played together on different opportunities quite a bit. And I know that one of the topics that came up in and I'll point back to the Jedi contract, and I'll let you talk a little bit about what that is or was and kind of the impact of that. But the reason I'm kind of going there is, can you tell me a little bit about any differences between parity between the commercial clouds and or the government regions? I don't want to call it a government cloud. I've kind of had my hand smacked on that a little bit. It's, <laughs> it's more the regions, so I got it. But Correct. can you talk to me a little bit about feature parity between, you know, the ability to leverage different Azure platform kind of services? Yeah, no, I can. And that's another good question. So there's when you think of the differences between those two regions, there's three things. And I'm circling back to your question on this one. You've got difference between who participates in it, like who needs what region. You've got differences in cybersecurity standards, a.k.a. what is one certified for versus the other. And then you just hit the third one. Okay, when I'm in that community and I'm getting these standards, what is the stuff in the region that I'm getting? And what's the differences between them? From an SAP point of view, the super high level and I'll step into Jedi is there's almost complete parity today. And there arguably is complete parity when it comes to the SCP workload specifically. When it comes to how we do that parity, you mentioned Jedi, there's a lot of different Vehicles, contracts, mechanisms, take your take your word or flavor from the government to the hyperscalers like Microsoft on, hey, I want to be able to buy from you your stuff on this thing. What assurances do I as the government get that whatever I get from you on this thing is what I need? So translating, Jedi and a couple of the others, without you know going into the lawyer speaking without getting myself in any trouble, they came with requirements from the public um, RFQs that had feature parity and whether jedi actually got awarded gets awarded gets resurrected from the dead like lazarus or something else it, it kind of created and left microsoft with this concept of whatever we build in a you know classification and you're right GovCloud region data centers you can get into problems <laughs> and get your wrist slapped on the definitions between those but whatever we do in one category We've got to be able to do full parity in another. And again, I go back to Jedi actually had that in a contractual requirement for whatever you can release to a government entity needs to be the same as is or better than you can release to a commercial entity. So we took that to heart. And basically anything that we roll out either in a gov region will also roll out in commercial or in a commercial region will also roll out in gov. Timelines are a different thing that comes behind that and compliances and certifications, as well as the difference between those two, also come into play because just because it's available in the region's parity doesn't mean it's certified at the same level on day one. But once it goes into a region, it's got to meet, basically, I, I said there were the three different things for each of those regions, compliancy being one of them. Once it goes into that region, it'll have to meet that compliance in the future. Got it. So from what I'm hearing, it's more of a compliance and regulation thing. When Microsoft says that they spend a billion dollar every year in security, that doesn't mean that government is more secure per se, but it's more the difference between commercial and government would be compliance and regulation that we're talking about here. That's a pretty fair way to say it. And the, the way that I always kind of think about it when you come to the realms of compliancy 
self-attested or self-attested or otherwise, anything that you can do in a government region, barring a couple things like being limited hyperscaler level to U.S. citizens, anything that you can do from an architecture point of view or et cetera, you can do it in gov or in commercial. Comma, however, to the point that you just made there, government has to do it. So there's some ways that they are basically built into the core fabric of Azure GovCloud that aren't necessarily built into some of the commercial fabrics. So again, you can replicate it, but it might be more effort to do it yourself than to inherit it from Gov. So when we talk about some of the parodies and compliances and certifications for that, um, really easy examples of that one are, you know, I, I said there was commercial, Gov, and DoD. Our DoD regions are basically day one out of the gate, what's called impact level five. That's one of the certifications and compliances from DISA on the .mil side of the fence. If you walk into GovCloud, everything is IL-4, but you can get to IL-5 by using things like dedicated hosts. So that's just a really easy example of you know, differences in compliance levels that you can do it. Maybe it's a little bit more choice in right. one region versus another. Right. I'll let you define IL-4 and IL-5, but quick question <laughs> that. Would there be a situation where somebody is using Azure Gov and commercial together? And if yes, do they connect with each other or they work together with each other? Oh, I love that question. And I hate that question. Um, <laughs> so the short answer is, yeah, there's actually a lot of use cases for that. And it can get a little messy. Um, you can get differences between how people use those regions for different service levels. And what I mean by that is infrastructure as a service platform as a service software as a service level. You can also get it differences based on individual application workload and communities of those workloads. Since we're mostly talking about SAP, let me give you an example of that one. Take some aerospace and defense vendor, you know, insert your favorite, you know, missile defense airplane building company here. They're going to have portions of their business that are done with the U.S. government. And depending on which one you picked in your head, they might also have portions of their business that they do either with commercial entities or globally or both. If you take that a step further, then the business they do with the U.S. government, for the record, Microsoft itself is a really good example of this because Microsoft itself does business with the federal government and also does business globally. Go figure. When you take those different lines of business, you have to separate them. Now, where you separate them depends on classifications of data, et cetera, but picking an example, think finance data. You actually have to separate that finance data out so that anybody who's reporting at a global level cannot see the specifics of anything that's protected by something called DFARS, uh, which is called the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulations. So it governs acquisitions. Um, it governs money and finance, among a great many number of other things. But anything that's got basically a DFARS inherited flow down, then you've got to keep it separate. So what does that actually look like? Back to your question. You'll have a business like Microsoft that has an ERP, in our case, it's an S4 HANA system, stood up in GovCloud, worked on by a team of U.S. citizens that have meet the appropriate clearances and background checks, and they have a second ERP that's managed globally. Now, that one exists in, in commercial. So what you do is you have system one in Gov talk to system two. Now you ask the question of how are they connected? The answer is classic IT guy answer, it depends. There's very few direct connections, if any, from a GovCon region to a commercial region. That's by design. 
because in order to meet the government security regulations that it needs to, it has to be an isolated, gated community. Comma, however, when you get businesses that run like Microsoft and you've got to have a consolidated way to do your finances or your manufacturing orders or your supply chain and logistics, you know, insert line of business problem here. The second you've got to consolidate that, you've got to have a way to have them talk. So again, it depends on if you're at a software as a service level and you're just having them talk across an API or something, or if you're at the infrastructure level and you're actually trying to set up a VPN connection between the two. But depending on where you are with it, normally what happens is you route it through your internal network as an entity. What I mean by that is region one from Microsoft Azure may not directly connect to region two from Microsoft Azure with something like a private link or a direct connection, comma, however, that doesn't mean that you can't move it into your internal network first, take over responsibility for the connection, and then from there, bounce the signal, the data, et cetera, across into the next region. And that's typically how these guys do it, because it's actually a pretty common practice. It's the same way that you would expect any type of hub and spoke setup with a multi or hybrid cloud approach. Now, I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but that's kind of my point. There's a lot of different ways you can kind of do that. As an SAP guy that is looking from a commercial perspective, and I've been working on the government things I, I here recently, um, I think that there's been more confusion for me or some of the things that took me a while to understand is going back to some of the questions or some of the topics that you kind of scratch the surface on, right? So we talk about IL-4 and we talk about IL-5. And it, by the way, it took me forever to realize that was like IL, like the IL of a, <laughs> a row, not IL. So it... it, it I used to think about it like that. It's impact level. So I yep. L for impact level, not aisle like I'm in a grocery store. But IL four, and I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of SAP systems, even in the government space, will really fall under that Azure Gov space, which is the IL four region, which you can do a lot of stuff in all the way up through, like you said, up to impact level five if necessary, based on certain things that you set to hit whatever the ATO is or the regulations or all that kind of fun stuff. But Ben, help me a little bit when we're talking about the government regions, why would I need to understand what's a DOD region? Why would I need to understand what is a top secret or a secret region? Like, is there really that many layers of security that goes into the story? And for my benefit, define IL-4 and 5.2, please. <laughs> no, I'm happy to hit those ones. Um, so to mix those two questions together, there are that many layers Comma, however, very few of them are different than what government customers today do already. Okay, what do I mean by that? Because a lot of people are going to look at me and go, I'm not in the freaking cloud. What are you talking about? Well, the point that I'm kind of going to is what happens with cloud is there are security standards that exist. And there's some for government, as in civilian government, so .gov. There's some more for DOD.mil, and anybody that's gotten into DOD knows that you've really got two different kind of connections out there. You got Nipper and you got Sipper. And I'm not going to go into the definition of those, but suffice to say that they're the difference between basically secret and not. And then outside of both of those guys, you've got those vendors to the government, you know, the Northrop's, Lockheed's, those guys. IL-4, impact level, four, five, six, and technically two is also out there if anybody Googles that one. Define the different definitions for what type of data you're putting in, what type of workload it is. 
so you made a point in there that that's pretty valuable of most of the SAP guys can do what they need to do if not literally all of them and I'd make the argument that literally all of them can do what they need to in GovCloud which means that they would do that either as an impact level four or an impact level five guy and there's subtleties between what they would pick between those two but you can kind of group four and five together then as the regulations for DoD customers that occasionally flow into those non-government regulated entities again the aerospace and defense and defense industrial these guys um so walking all that kind of back then to your question of why are there so many different layers why how do i navigate between them what it really comes down to is even though there's all these different layers you're only really going to ever exist in one maybe two of them if you're a government entity you're probably only going to exist in one with an exception and i'll come back to that in a second if you're an aerospace defense company you're probably going to exist in two, depending on how much of your business is regulated versus not. And I, I make that statement very broadly because that's that's where the Goldilocks zones exist. Of this one's too hot, this one's too cold. Comma, however, in all of those scenarios, whether it's one, two, or anything in between, it's not like you need to start from scratch and figure out what these different layers are. If you're a DOD entity or a civilian agency, you're going to have a cybersecurity team that meets certain postures to prevent what's usually called the adversary from getting to your stuff. You're going to do that whether you're on-prem or in the cloud. All you've got to do then, for the most part, is when you make the decision to move to the cloud, the names of the certifications might have changed and the individual controls within them might have been relabeled slightly but it really then just comes down to a mapping exercise of here's the stuff I do today, and here's the stuff that exists within my stuff, you know, my data, et cetera, my user communities, et cetera, you know, the types of people that would live in that gated community. And you just map that then to what security standard does that translate to in the cloud? Keeping in mind that sometimes when data goes from on-prem to cloud, it can go up in classification levels because it's very rare that you get people that just move to the cloud just from a point of a rehoming of systems, just a lift and shift of I'm just going to take this and do nothing to it and put it in the cloud. What normally happens is you get classic data aggregation problem. Hey, I want to consolidate my stuff and do something new with it. I'm going to start mixing and matching my data so that I can get better insights out of it. Keep in mind that that's not an example necessarily of copying, pasting your existing security posture. So you might actually have to do the exercise of how do I do this today when I change my functionality? What is that change for my security posture? And that is admittedly when you get into the game of talking about the different layers, because you might move from layer one, and I'm just calling that randomly, into layer two or layer three. So I'm kind of giving you a bit of a roundabout answer in there, but the takeaway, if you boil all that back, then is most government entities have systems that have been around for a while. Just to yeah. answer, just to make sure that we answer Ravi's question on the IL before his head explodes, the <laughs> I know that they all build off of the SRG, right? The Security Regu Requirements Guide that the Department of Defense puts out, and don't they kind of build on each other? So there's like the, you know, they can, yeah. So I'll throw out the couple acronyms that for anybody who's sitting there with pen and paper trying to Google some of these things. Look, you've got NIST, NIST for 800-171, 800- dash 53 and for the record there's versions and revisions of both of those things but if you start there you'll find the different pieces then pause and i'm going to come back to your question here real fast um 
Then you've got things like DFARS. So there's a DFARS 252.202-7012. I think I got that right, 252.202. Maybe 204. I'll look at that one. Um, but there's another one of that one then. The catch with all of those is whether they build off of each other like nested Russian dolls or are just copy-pastes of kid one in high school's homework into kid two of high school's homework. They're all very interrelated. Uh, for the record, we also haven't mentioned something called CMMC, which is a new standard. It goes from level one to level five, which just muddies all of this. All of these security standards for U.S. entities are very interrelated, though. What you can typically find, since most of these have been out for a while, uh, they may not be fully understood. Understanding and reading security, in my experience, is a lot like different religions interpreting the Bible, and not to turn it into a religious comment there, but there's a lot of different insights you can gain depending the way you read it, which means there's a lot of different implementation guides. But that argument aside, when you take all these different standards, if you know how you meet one of them, you can typically find a Rosetta Stone to translate into another one. If you do something like, hey, I meet FedRAMP, which is typically gonna be somebody saying that's the way that they either meet the FedRAMP guidelines or that they meet the NIST guidelines, the 800-171 and the 853. For the record, there's more of them out there too, but those are your two heavy hitting starting points. Um, when you've got somebody that says that they meet those, translating from FedRAMP and something that would be certified by JAB, which is the Joint Accreditation Board, which is the party within civilian agencies that's responsible for that certification, translating that from JAB and FedRAMP into DOD the accreditation board for Department of Defense is DISA, uh, which has a lot more responsibility than just certifications of cloud systems, but they're the ones who do that part also. So really, really common day in the life problem. Hey, I'm a vendor. I went and built a solution. It's a software as a service. I need to go and be compliant with NIST, and I need to go and be compliant with DFARS, and maybe I need to also be compliant with CMMC, or something like ITAR. You're going to have to do all of those. What you're going to have to figure out then is where are the overlaps? Because by meeting, you know, control family AC1, uh, which is an access controls family example, then NIST or FedRAMP, you're also going to meet the corresponding family within DFARS and the impact levels and the SRG requirements, which is the security requirements guidelines. Keeping the compliance requirements, I, I just want to make sure if I'm an architect that's designing something, an SAP solution in commercial versus government, would I still be able to use the same features for high availability, SLAs, disaster recoveries, and stuff? The short answer is yeah. Um, almost everything, one that you just mentioned, and two that go into what I would call an application architecture, whether it's a full business continuity plan or if it's just basically an application-level architecture, Anything that you build in you know, region one, be it commercial or gov, is going to be almost one-to-one -one copied into region two, whether it be gov or commercial. Okay, now that's a very broad statement, and a couple people are going to look at me and go, but there's much different security standards. The reason I say that is because a lot of the way that you actually engineer an SAP application, especially if you're following the best practices that Microsoft has out there published from things like zero trust architecture, or just SAP reference architectures, those really translate to the spoke of a hub and spoke architecture. 
most of the way that you control the gated part of a gated community is in the hub of a hub and spoke. For anybody that's a DoD guy, that's where your VDMS and your VDSs are going to show up. Now I'm just adding acronyms to add acronyms. But if I take that back, then most of the way that you would build an SAP application really just comes down to then wrapping it in the correct layer security and documenting it correctly. Now, keep in mind, one of the things I said a while ago is that the fundamental differences between how you can implement an SAP solution in those different regions is choice. So if you choose to deviate from the best practice architectures in something like a commercial deployment, keep in mind that everything I just said about them being copy-paste goes out the window because you deviated from the best practices. Now, maybe you got a good reason, but it means that you're going to have to account for it. Yeah, but then in general, like there's two regions for Azure Gov. So there's like Azure Virginia, the Azure Gov Virginia, Azure Gov Texas, Azure Gov Arizona. I mean, so there's different things mm-hmm. that you can do for the availability perspective, even in the Gov space, right? Uh, there are. And again, this is opinion, but I'd still tell you that it's basically the same as commercial. And to pick on the ones you just had in there, look, you got Virginia, Arizona, and Texas. Um, and if you look off you know, one of the public websites, you'll see that Virginia, uh, Azure Gov Virginia and Azure Gov Texas are sister regions. They're paired. If you're actually doing an SAP workload, I will put out um, that you want to go in Virginia and Arizona, not Texas. So they're kind of informal sisters when it comes to SAP. But to keep going from where we were, Virginia's got availability zones, which is one of the things that you would look for in a deployment architecture. How do I deploy my SAP, my app servers, my databases, et cetera, across AZs in order to hit something like a two, three, or four, nine availability set? The same architecture you would use to do that in like East 2 or something for commercial regions, same exact one you'd use in Virginia. Again, the only difference would be that the way you set up your edge gateway servers, your firewall systems, some of your ports and protocol controls, and some of the things in that hub and in that surround networking strategy, those change. Yeah, but Ben, I'm a big availability set guy. (laughs) I'm just saying, (laughs) I think because of the complexity and everything else, I like HA going through availability sets versus zones. But I do want to ask one more important question. Yeah. And obviously you've rattled off a ton of stuff and I love talking to you because, you know, it's pointing out all these different topic areas that I usually spend. I I talk to you and I go cross-eyed, go spend another hour and a half looking through Google, the search, well, Bing, Bing. searching uh, different things on what the hell you just talked about. But from a complexity perspective, obviously, you know, companies or government entities can pull in different companies to help out, different consulting companies or, or whatnot. And I know in the government space, there's layers here, right? So we have resellers to make sure there's yeah. a buffer between somebody selling something directly to the government. There's SIs who are doing implementation work. There's government contractors that you talked about before that also provide work. Can Give me a, a quick and dirty here on what's the consulting space look like when we talk about government and, and specifically SAP, but government kind of entities. Good one. If you're talking consultancy, break it into two categories and you just you hit them in there. You basically got your resellers or your contract holders. And there's a lot of different flavors of that. That's your Kerasofts, your Open Consultings, your Smarttronics. And for the record, some of your resellers are also in the second category, kind of like an overlapping Venn diagram. And your second category is your federal SIs. You'll typically hear them referred to as GSIs, your global SIs. There's systems implementers and systems integrators, um, but you typically would call them the FSIs. So almost all of your global players are also 
federal players. Accenture Federal, you know, Deloitte's got to practice in there. IBM's got to practice. The list goes on. You'll get even more vendors, though, that are niche or specific to the federal space. You know, I can name off a couple of those guys, and you'll get them for different reasons. Maybe they're hub zone compliant or et cetera, et cetera. They're small 8As, vendor owned, and all these types of different classifications for small business. But you'll get even more, not less. What typically happens is when you've got one of these entities, let's say one of the global big guys, the same way that I talked about how businesses have to split their financials, these guys split their consulting practices. So they're going to have a piece of their consulting business that's dedicated to providing only U.S. citizens with the appropriate clearances and background checks, and et cetera. That way they can tell any given government entity, hey, I can do the same statement or scope of work that I need to, but I'm going to deliver it with a team that meets the security standards you need them to. Same way that you're going to go look for a cloud product, you just look for a consulting team that meets those requirements. So much information in such a short duration, right? Like I recently started working in the Azure Go space and there's a lot to learn. And some of the pointers that you mentioned, I'm going to go and thirst for those. But as we are coming to the end of this episode, what are your parting thoughts, Nathan? First off, thanks, Ben, for being on here. I mean, every time I squeeze your head, I feel like just more information comes out that I didn't know. And, and I appreciate the time that you spent here with us. From a parting thoughts perspective, it gets to be a little overwhelming. I think that I've found over the last couple of years and really last 18 months where I've kind of pulled more into this space is that there is a lot of nuances to it. And um, it doesn't take a lot of time to really kind of digest it, but it's scary when you're first getting into it. It's like a tidal wave that comes at you. And I will say one thing that I think that Microsoft does pretty well is providing people or resources through our engineering team, people like Ben, who work in the specialized workload for SAP kind of environments, to be able to come in and help our government customers digest what it means to move into the cloud. Okay. And I, I think that that's the biggest thing is that Microsoft, not we, but Microsoft has really spent the time to make sure there's resources available to, to make sure that there's no lack or a big gap in trying to make sure they understand what this means. What okay. do you think, Robbie? Totally echo your comments, and I want to add that there's a saying that the more you know, the less you seem to know. I don't yes. feel like this. I've been in Azure space for a little bit now, and when you talk about Azure government, there's a lot more to learn. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I've talked to Ben a lot more than no, I care to admit about. <laughs> <laughs> I think say both of you guys have got that one right. As a guy that basically started his career in government, there are so many things that I've just picked up over time or have just become, you know, second nature to me. And I'll admit that I sit down with somebody, you know, yourselves or otherwise, and they're like, well, why can't we just do blah, blah, blah? And I look at them and go, of course you can't do that. That breaks all of these things. And they're like, what is that thing that you just talked about? But my point is that there's so many things that when you get a gov guy, not that I'm the best one out there, but anybody who's lived in space, you kind of just learn how to breathe water like a fish. But Anybody that's new to it, yeah, there's a chance that if you don't have floaties on, you're going to drown in the water. So my best advice always is never try and boil the ocean yourself. There's somebody out there who's got you know more exposure. I continue to abuse my metaphor. There's always a bigger fish. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's that's a thing that even I do. I'd say daily, but it's closer to hourly. <laughs> so ben, ben, as we end this, I'll end it like a lot of my government colleagues do which basically bring your bag full of hammers 
and Roger and out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, See you guys. Appreciate the time.